Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to be with you today. Even though as Pastor mentioned, I kind of got roped into a number of things. A year ago, Jay and Libby asked whether I would renew their vows. I had married them 20 years ago. I found a vacant weekend in my schedule said, sure. Soon thereafter, I found out she'd also asked the pastor whether I could preach while I was here. So I said, sure. Then about two weeks ago, I got a copy of your church newsletter and saw my face in the, on the front cover announcing a special guest speaker for your 50th anniversary celebration. <clears throat> and then the day before, I got, saw my picture in your local newspaper, and I sent Libby a text and said, what have you gotten me into here? <laughs> but I'm happy to be here at any rate. Today we're going to take a look at the reading from Acts chapter 2, but I'm going to start by uh, sharing just a short story with you. There were uh, three local pastors that were having lunch together, and they, as they talked, they discovered they had kind of a common problem. They all had bats in the attics of their churches. And one pastor tried to solve the problem with a shotgun, but that didn't work. Uh, another pastor actually captured them and drove them way out into the country near Jan Libby's farm. And uh, set them free, but the bats actually beat them back to the church. Uh, But the third pastor, who obviously was Lutheran, uh, said, they're no longer a problem at my church. And they said, really, what did you do with them? He said, well, I baptized them and confirmed them, and they never came back. (laughs) You know, the the amazing thing about that story is you can tell that in virtually any church in America, and it doesn't really make much difference what denomination you're even talking about. And it's kind of strange that this would be the case because it's probably never been easier to come to church in America than it is today. I mean, in this country, you're apt not to be arrested. Uh, you're probably not going to be executed for attending churches, uh, as it happens in many places around this world. And most likely, uh, it's not going to hurt your career coming to church. In fact, in some cases, it probably even enhances your career just a little bit. And then our churches are pretty comfortable. I mean, this is almost like looking out of a theater from up here in front. You've got air conditioning. I see you've got video projection. You've got microphones, uh, padded seats. And the services, I think, probably don't last usually two and a half hours. I don't know. I'm not here regularly. Now, you would think that with all of these great technological changes that our churches would be far more packed than they were 50 years ago. But if you compare the percentages of people attending church in America 50 years ago to what's happening today, you find that less and less people than ever are showing up in houses of worship across America. And the current trends show that there's no sign of reversal at all, especially in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I don't know whether you know this or not, but the LCMS has projected decline in membership by nearly a half a million Members within the next 10 to 15 years. Where are other Lutherans going to come from? I got bad news for you. The boat stopped coming to St. Louis. They're going to need to come from that unchurched population. When I hear people lamenting about all the unchurched people or crabbing and complaining about, oh, the millennials today, oh, cut it out. That's, the, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said the fields are white with harvest. They're out there. You know what the problem is? 
us. It's like Pogo said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Yeah. We are the harvesters and we just plain simple aren't harvesting the way we used to do so. But you know, when you examine the early church and you read about all of this kind of stuff, you don't see this kind of a problem back in the days of Pentecost. In fact, the early church changed the way the Christian church even looked, despite they had no resources, they had no buildings, they had no seminaries to train their pastors. Why, they didn't even have a district president or a denominational headquarters located in St. Louis. And this happened because the early church possessed certain qualities that I think have been disappearing in our society over the last number of years. And that we're losing some things because, maybe it's because of the oppression. I remember being in the Soviet Union a number of years ago, the day of prayer. And one of the pastors from a foreign country got up and he prayed that persecution would break out in America so that people would finally figure out what it is they've got and return to it. I want to give this guy a standing ovation and bring him back to our country. See, these crucial elements of a dynamic church, and I'm going to call it a Pentecostal church, are found here in our reading today from Acts chapter 2. And as we read this story, we find out why the church was so very powerful. And I think if our church today can more be like the early church, uh, our church would be powerful and dynamic as well. Now, Acts chapter 2, as I walk you through this, uh, reveals four characteristics of this early church, which could be descriptive, I think, of any church here in America. In fact, I know many churches who still are Acts 2 kinds of churches. When I first went to Angola prison a number of years ago, that's what I found out, is that is where I see the Acts 2 church actually working. They're kind of back to the basics. In fact, I, I thought, as I was notified also, by the way, in addition to the, this, the uh, pastor was kind enough to tell me that you had a motto for this year, and if I could somehow work that into the sermon as well. So here you go. I'm going to work it into the sermon right now, just so you, you don't miss it. I want to suggest to you that if this church is, is, is truly celebrating faith forever, forever, we might want to consider these four characteristics one more time and see how we kind of mesh up and what maybe we can do to reinvigorate the original Pentecostal mission. In fact, I even toyed with calling this sermon, Are We Still Pentecostal? Now, let me give you some of these. Here's, first of all, the dynamic church of the Pentecostal church at the beginning possessed an atmosphere in which God was free to move. Now, when you read the first few verses of Acts chapter 2, what most people, it grabs their attention, are these phenomena that are described in verses 2, 3, and 4. The mighty rushing wind, the uh, flames of fire that appeared on the heads, and then everybody speaking in tongues. But I don't think that's the key verse in this chapter. I think it's in verse 1 where it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, you ought to ask yourself, why were they all together, and why were they all together in one place? Well, I think the followers of Jesus had created an atmosphere in which God was free to move, and they did it in two ways. One, there was a, an obedience to his word. If Jesus said it, they were going to do it. See, the followers of Jesus were all together in one place because uh, of the word Jesus had given to them at the ascension. I don't know if you remember that. It's previous in the book of Acts. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift 
my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So I wonder, as they sat there and they heard a word from the God, uh, of the Lord and responded, what words of the Lord have we heard that we need to respond to as well? And how well are we doing this? Now, certainly we have been given the command to preach the gospel. We've been told to preach it to all nations. And that Greek word, all nations, is tech ethnoi, which really means to every ethnic group. It's not just all the different countries, but every ethnicity. Go to Nigeria like I've been. You've got, I don't know how many different ethnicities just in that one country. But in Matthew 25, many of you know this, where Jesus said to some sheep, uh, he said these words, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He said, For I was hungry, and what happened? You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You actually welcomed me in. You didn't look at me like, who's visiting today? Uh, he said, but you actually welcomed me in. Uh, when I was naked, you clothed me. And the last one, I was, you know, was I sick? You visited me. He said, and when I was in prison, what did you do? You came and visited me. Now, I mentioned this last night. This really resonated with me as a young child. And the reason it resonated with me was for two reasons. One was that my father was in prison. I was raised by my grandparents. I actually had a college professor tell me at one point as he stuck his finger in my face, you are just a gangster, that's all you are, and that's all you will ever be. You are just like your father. And you know something? He was right at that point in my life. And so I took upon the attitude that the people that are in prison, well, you should lock them up and just throw away the key. And it wasn't until many years later that I somehow got drugged down to the largest maximum security prison in America, in Angola, Louisiana, and discovered that life was in there. Uh, to this day, that I'm, uh, many of the guys would say, Doc, you know, you're really the only family we have. You're kind of like furniture. You're always here. <laughs> and they said, and the way we know you love us is you guys just keep coming back all the time. So God's given us plenty of commands to do things. In addition, he has given us his perfect word. I mean, what better thing can you have than the Holy Scriptures in your hand? And it says in Second Timothy that we have everything we need for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. I mean, we've got the most magnificent tool there is, God's word, to show us how to live and what to do. So the early church had this general atmosphere that they were going to be obedient to the word of God. But there was a second part. They demonstrated faith in his promises. They were waiting because they believed that Jesus would actually fulfill the promise he made back in chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. He said, in a few days, you will be what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a feeling at this point they didn't know what that was all about, but they were looking forward to it, I think. And Jesus said, and when that happens, you will receive power. The Greek word is dunamis, dynamite. You're going to receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And... You will be my witnesses, which sounds pretty good until you find out that the Greek word for witness is martyrio, from which we get the word martyr. You're going to be my martyrs. In other words, this isn't necessarily always going to be an easy thing to do. And yet they were waiting. They were obedient to the word, and they demonstrated faith in his promises. They just didn't want to miss out on any of this. They knew that whatever was going to happen when all heaven broke loose, that this was going to be pretty important stuff. And they wanted to be a part of this. 
And so we too can experience that move of God in this congregation, in our congregation, if we are obedient to his word and we get back to trusting in his promises. Now, there's a second characteristic in this chapter of a Pentecostal church, and it's that it grabs the attention of outsiders. See, repeatedly through Acts, we see that the church was just plain, simple, too powerful and too amazing to be ignored. And this certainly was the case on Pentecost Sunday. You got that sound of the wind, but no wind. You got flames on the top of people's heads. You got people running around speaking in like every known language. And guess what? It said there were Jews from Jerusalem. And then it mentioned all these other Gentiles who showed up as well. Something amazing was about to happen. And they all came to see what it was. And so it says, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men Galileans? Now, if I would preach this in Branson, I would say, are these men not all hillbillies? (laughs) Now, I live in hillbilly Vegas, so I can say that. And then they said, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another. And there must have been Lutherans in the group because they said, what does this mean? Well, yeah, a dynamic church will attract attention. I met Jay and Libby at Lord of Life in La Fox, Illinois, and we were, in some respects, a regional church of attraction. We were located out in the middle of nowhere, and we had people driving 40 miles or more just to come to church. Now, people cannot help but notice us when miraculous things happen, particularly when changes happen. I spoke last night about sometimes a lot of our prayers are what I sometimes refer to as Sick prayers, and I don't mean to denigrate that. We need to pray for sick people and people who need to be restored to health. But why not celebrate the good things that happen? That's why I really loved what you did. You know, what's the good news we can celebrate now? We need to tell God's stories to people. Not just here, but it would be good to do it here. We encourage one another. But tell God's stories someplace else. One of the coffee shops I frequent, the young girl Monica... One of the baristas, uh, I asked her what she was going to be doing this weekend. She said, I'm going to get together with a bunch of my girlfriends and just hang out. And I said, are you all going to tell God's stories? And she says, what's that? I said, just to share what God has been doing or what's happening in your life that only God could be the explanation. Boy, she came back the next week. She, was all about, she said, what a wonderful evening we had telling God's stories. And if you tell those out in the community and people finally figure out, well, how do you know about this God story? You might actually be able to tell them about Faith Lutheran Church. And they might say, wow, that kind of stuff happens here? Yeah, it happens here all the time. God changes lives here continually. Now, not everybody is going to look that way. Not everybody's interested in your God story. Actually, verse 13 said others were making fun of them. They said they've had too much wine. These guys are a bunch of drunks out here. And the crowd witnessed the miraculous. It was either amazement or amusement, but they were not going to be ignored. Now, this little piece of information might come as no surprise, but recently uh, Donald Trump was voted most loved and most hated in the same poll. Now, that's because his personality is often so overbearing and abrasive that you either love or hate him, but you will not ignore that man. And that's just the way it is. I think this is how, how, the, how the world must react to Jesus. I mean, Jesus said, he who is not for me is, an, is against me, but he who is not against me is for me. He made it clear, you cannot ride the fence. You are either a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. 
No neutral ground. And if we're truly excited about being Christ followers, we're going to share the great things God has done in our lives, in our churches, in our communities, and we're going to share that anywhere. But we need to be taught that from time to time. I guess I can tell a story. I've got plenty of time. You're not going anywhere. The food's sitting out there. It'll wait for you. <laughs> I was sitting at a coffee shop again one day, and I happened to have my Kindle out. I was reading a book, glanced across. There was a young girl sitting there with her laptop. And we both happened to glance up at the same time, kind of nodded. I went back to reading. And then I hear this voice say, uh, what are you reading? And I said, I'm reading The Songs of Jesus by Timothy Keller. And she said, what's that about? And I said, it's a book about the Psalms. And Jesus, when he would have gone to synagogue, was probably singing many of those psalm songs. And she went, huh. And she went back to typing. And so I said, so what are you doing? She said, I'm writing my senior paper. And I said, where do you go to school? And she went to Branson High School. I said, so what's your senior paper supposed to be about? She said, it's supposed to be about my life so far. Now, what's the follow-up question to that? How's your life been so far? To which she looked at me and she said, it sucks. <laughs> now, what do you do with that? Well, I'm undeterred. I said, would you allow me to come to your table for five minutes to see if I could help Desuckify your life. <laughs> See, sometimes you need to make up new languages. And I went over there because I always carry in my pocket a little divine plan. And I showed it to her, spread it out, and she said it was very interesting. I said, it's yours. And she kind of took it grudgingly. And I asked her, I said, do you go to church? And she said, well, not really. And I said, so the answer is no. She said, yeah, that would be right. And I said, what kind of church would you go to if, if you actually went? And she said, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. And I said, nothing against you, but would you like to go to a church where the pastor's wearing a dress and uh, all this kind of stuff? <laughs> and they have an organ and they play really old music. And, and everybody kind of sits there like this. When is this over? Um, and I'm not describing your church, I hope. Um, and, and she goes, mm, no. And I said, well, what if there was a church where the pastor was uh, kind of dressed ordinary and it was kind of funny and um, actually taught from the Bible and always had good suggestions about how to make your life better. And the music was all upbeat, kind of the music you, you would hear, uh, contemporary music. And she said, well... Yeah, that would be a whole lot better. So I knew right away I was not going to invite her to the church I attend. But see, is there anything wrong with making a Christian in another church? I'm, I'm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we'll be surprised to see how many denominations are up there someday if we can get out of the Lutheran wing for a while to look. Um, but I told her about this church. And I said, you really need to go to Woodland Hills when you come when you're there. And I said, I'm going to bet you're going to run into some friends. Do you have friends that go to church? And she said, yes. I said, have they ever invited you? And this breaks my heart. She said, no. I thought, oh, gosh. I said, but I bet you're going to run into these kids out there. And I ran into her a couple of months later. And lo and behold, find out what? She's been going and running into friends. 
But we need to step outside of our comfort zone sometime and understand there's no neutral ground. You're either for God or you're against God. I've become far more bold in my life in sharing with Jesus. My wife knows I do coffee shop evangelism. Sometimes when I don't come back very quick, she says, well, you must have been evangelist. She asked me that this morning when I didn't show up quick enough back from going across the street to Dunkin' Donuts to get a coffee. But there's no neutral ground. People are not going to ignore us. Here's a third dynamic of a Pentecostal church. It opens its doors to everyone. See, the tragic uh, history of, of churches that we've often been kind of an exclusive little holy huddle. But in the early days, guess what? The Jews didn't want any Gentiles in their church. In the Middle Ages, during the days of the Reformation, Martin Luther, um, Jews were excluded from even becoming allowing to become Christians. And in recent generations, people of different races are more often than not even welcome in many Protestant denominations. In fact, I was somewhat surprised when I found out recently, you know what the two whitest denominations are in America? Number one is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Number two is the Missouri Synod. Now, there's a lot of factors that play into that. A lot, part of it is where you're located and other things like that. But it appears that we don't reach much beyond people like us. And yet, the scriptures tell us it's for everyone. Peter said, there's no race discrimination. He said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. All kinds of people. <clears throat> and, and this has been a shock, because in the days of Jesus, a good Jew would often pray a prayer every morning that said, goes this way, um, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave. I thank you, Lord, that I was not born a Gentile. And I thank you, Lord, that I was not born a woman. Now, even when Gentiles would convert to Judaism, they were forced to follow all of the Old Testament rites and practices and everything, including circumcision. So real strict Jews would not help a Gentile woman in childbirth because they would rather let the child die than bring another Gentile into this world. And yet God says, no, my spirit is available to anyone, any place, anytime, anywhere, any color, you name it. He also says there's no gender discrimination. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, I'm not making that up that he said that because he's really repeating what the prophet Joel said, that in the last days, your sons and daughters have a word from God that needs to be spoken. Now, we don't often have prophecy in churches, particularly not in Missouri Synod Lutheran churches. I've been in churches already where somebody said, I have a word from the Lord today. And I remember the pastor looking at him and said, no, you don't, because it's always a word of criticism. Sit down. <laughs> but then again, I've heard another person stood up and said, I have a word of the Lord. And he asked him what it was. And the guy gave a very encouraging word from the Lord that day for the congregation. But the young men, the young women, he said, in the last days, and we were in the last days, this is happening. And he said, you know, even women were going to be involved. I mean, Paul even told women how to dress for the times that they stood up in church to prophesy. He also said there's no age of discrimination. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I mean, how many of you that are close to my age have been dreaming dreams lately? You know, has God been giving you a vision of something? You know, young people have dreams of where they want to go and what they want to be. And maybe have some great and wonderful dreams about our church as well. It's kind of a shame sometimes that we, 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 we say to the young people, well, they're the church of tomorrow. No, they're not. They're the church of today. And they need to be involved within the church. And we can't farm out our old people. And we can't, for heaven's sakes, we can't have this attitude as, well, I'm old now. It's for the young people to do their work. No, you don't ever retire, folks. Retire is what you do at night. 
Re-enlist is what you do in the morning. Old people, gray-haired people, you guys got wisdom beyond measure that ought to be shared with people. Some of the best youth workers in our denomination today are retired people. And sometimes what do we do? We go out and try to find the next youngest person we can to run our youth groups. Maybe grandma and grandpa ought to run the youth groups for a change. Wouldn't that be something? Well, the fourth dynamic is probably the best one of all, and that is it proclaims the message of salvation. It said, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on and says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I I was really wondering when I heard, I think you wrote me 900 feet, is that right, of chains? I thought 900 feet. That's 300 yards. That's three football fields. I thought, nah, I bet, I told my wife, I bet he meant 90 feet. (laughs) I'm flat out amazed. And where does that start? It starts by the baptismal font. And isn't that where we all kind of began our journey? Many of us brought to a font someplace and baptized. And when that took place, what happened? When the water and the word was put together, boom, the Holy Spirit was planted in your heart. Now, what the call is now is that 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 faith, that spark, now grows as we become discipled and we, we grow in the word and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to learn how to change lives. But first, it starts with our lives being changed. Change, And we need to look outside where we gain people from, not just sheep shifting, not just swapping fish between aquariums. Kind of reminds me of the story of uh, three pastors. There's a Baptist pastor, a Methodist pastor, and a Lutheran pastor. They decided to work together on kind of a, a community outreach event, uh, kind of a community-wide revival. And when it was all over, they got together to share good news. And the Methodist pastor said, you know, this revival thing worked really well. We gained four new families through this event. And the Baptist pastor said, you know, we did even better than that. We gained six new families through this outreach event. And the Lutheran pastor said, we did even better than that. Uh, we got rid of the ten biggest troublemakers in our church. <laughs> All I'm saying is just shifting people between denominations isn't the way to grow a church. When I pastored in Bloomington, there were four Missouri Synod Lutheran churches in town, and I knew people in my church that had been to every last one of them until they got cranky and then kept moving on. I also felt that some of the pastors should get together once a year and just trade. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you this family if you give me these people. <laughs> See, we're, we're called to preach the gospel to every creature, all nations. See, the church had an evangelistic mission, and... and They were saving souls because that's what they were called to do. That's why, again, we need to, on Pentecost Sunday, every Sunday, just kind of ask ourselves, are we still Pentecostal? Are we still a Pentecostal church? I mean, how do we compare with the early church? How do we cultivate this atmosphere where God is allowed to move? How do we we actually grab the attention of outsiders? And how do we learn to open the doors to anybody and everybody? And, and, And do we consistently preach the gospel of salvation? Now, I'd suggest to you that to the extent that we accomplish these things is probably going to determine how effective we really are. See, the early church was much more than a social gathering. I've asked churches when I've consulted them, if your church disappeared tomorrow, what would this community miss? Sadly, I've heard things like, well, I guess the, ham, the annual ham and bean dinner. 
hmm, if that's the only thing, they can get ham and beans somewhere else. But what would they miss? Would they miss the pure, unadulterated word of God preached, preaching Christ and him crucified? Are we committed to doing God's work? Those challenges change the, the, the way of history. So my encouragement to you in these, as you celebrate these 50 years and as you celebrate the next 50 years is that you get back to the roots of Pentecostalism, that you truly become a Pentecostal church to reach others for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.